Hey Shriekers! I'm Elle. And I'm Erica. And And this is Shriek. Happy Halloween! (laughs) Happy Halloween, Shriekers! If you, um don't live under a rock you know that today is halloween and we're hoping you guys are all eating your halloween candy listening to this fun podcast yeah hopefully you guys scored it big time or scored some drinks at the bar however you celebrate (laughs) if you guys are listening to us and follow us on anything let us know what you wore for halloween yeah we're actually really interested because when we were out um it's so fun to see how many different things and costumes people can come up with. So we really want to hear what you guys dressed up as. Yes, especially if it was something fun and creative. Yes, tell us. Sexy show us a, as hell. Show us a picture. Oh yeah, either way, let's. we want to see it. Well, we have in store for you guys today for this podcast, we are going to go over the origin of Halloween. And we got some fun facts about Halloween for you guys. Honestly, I'm can bet that you guys haven't heard these before so they're honestly we're really excited to share them with you and then we each prepared our own true crime story just a little mini one um and it is true crimes that took place on halloween yeah i kind of get you in this spooky mood mm-hmm. got our halloween special all right and here we go so the tradition of halloween comes from the ancient celtic festival of Samhain. So Pope Gregory III, he actually designated November 1st as All Saints Day and incorporated some of the traditions of Samhain. Um, and actually, the night before was called All Hallows' Eve. So later, that did change, of course, to Halloween. Samhain was a ritual, almost uh, like party, where people would wear costumes in order to ward off ghosts. Uh, these people, this was... 2,000 years ago in the area that we know today as Ireland and the United Kingdom and northern France. So, like I said, they celebrated November 1st as All Saints Day because it marked the end of the summer and um, all the harvests. It began the dark, cold winter. Mm -hmm. Often this time of year was associated with death, uh, not only of humans, but also, um, I'm sure, their livestock as well. Uh, due to the new weather coming in. Mm-hmm. Also, the death of my soul, knowing winter's about to start. Oh my gosh. And when you look outside and it's five o'clock and it's pitch black and you just want to cry <laughs> instantly. And I do. <laughs> it has happened once or twice for sure. <laughs> I swear. Oh my gosh. Okay, okay. So the Celtics would believe that on this night, um, on All Hallows' Eve, the boundary between the living and the dead world would be blurred. So, Samhain was a day where go- the ghosts of those who are dead would return to Earth. They actually believed that the ghosts would cause trouble with the townsfolk, um, as well as damaging crops. Um, I honestly probably, I just think it was getting cold and the crops were dying, but... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, why not like make it fun? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Um, okay, so, Druids. Those are actually Celtic priests. They would take this opportunity to use the presence of the wo- the other world spirits to make predictions about the future. 
Um, honestly, it would just be a huge heyday. The, the druids would build giant bonfires where they would burn crops and even animal sacrifices. Ooh, okay. Yeah, kind of putting that spook into the holiday for mm-hmm. sure. Interesting. You know, if, if ghosts and spirits and demons don't scare you enough, you know, it's <laughs> some animal sacrifices. Just kill some animals. Fun. Oops. <laughs> Make um, a party. And, like, I'm sure they didn't even, like, eat them or anything, so it's, like, that's not fair. Oh, it's sad. It's <laughs> very sad. <laughs> so sad. Not obviously not laughing because it's funny, but just more of like a, a nervous thing. Because um, yeah, that's that's kind of, I mean, sure, let's celebrate this great holiday of the dead being and uh, among the living, and bam, some animal sacrifices <laughs> during this bonfire celebration. This uh, the Celtics actually wore costumes that was, um, you know, animal skins, even animal heads. Oh, gross. Okay. Yeah, because obviously, obviously they can't just go to the store and buy, you know, the sexy witch um, costumes. So. Yeah, like, we got what we got. <laughs> you know, I want to be a cow this year. Slip slop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure no one was, you, no one even had to guess what you were because you're just, <laughs> you're just a <laughs> in their head. They would also tell each other's fortunes, which is pretty cool. Um, when all was said and done, they had partied hard. <laughs> they would actually... <laughs> They then would relight their health fires, which were put out um, earlier in the evening before all of the celebration. Um, and so mm-hmm. they'd actually use the fire from the sacred bonfire to help them be protected during the winter ahead. So that explains the desire for costumes and dressing up to almost spook your friends and even complete strangers. I mean, so technically, when you're dressing up as an animal, you're, like, really getting into the origins of Halloween. I don't know. If someone walked down the, the road with a deer head on their head, I would... <laughs> spooked it doesn't even begin to I'd be... I'd be so spooked. Like, they really got this this year. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, another Halloween tradition that has a little background would be bobbing for apples. Traditionally, this is done on Halloween due to the Roman Empire conquering the majority of the Celtic territory. Okay. And just 400 years, they were able to obtain and rule the Celtic lands. Oh gosh, that was very quick. Right. They also combined their traditions with Samhain and with Feralia and Pomona. Feralia is when the Romans would recognize the passing of the dead. Okay. And Pomona is a Roman goddess of fruit and trees. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the symbol of Pomona is an apple, adding bobbing for apples to the typical Halloween tradition. Oh my gosh, that's honestly, that's so neat. Because I always kind of, you know, you always kind of wondered why that was a thing, everyone sticking their head in this giant bucket of water. I I mean, I just thought they were like, that sounds fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost tied up in someone's basement, and they're like, there's an apple over there in that water. (laughs) I'm going to go get that. No hands. (laughs) So, in the 19th century... Christianity became well-known and was welcomed heavily into the Celtic lands. It became blended, but in 1000 AD, the Celtics made November 2nd All Souls Day, Okay, which is also to honor the dead. Imagine if we actually put this much like love and attention into everyone while they were still alive. Right? <laughs> Things like this would just be, you know, a thing of the past, like celebrating people that were dead. It's like, why don't I have celebrating people who are alive today? Yeah, I, I mean, you, you really notice that people who are dead, they get so much more attention. <laughs> it's like, I loved them so much. No, I exactly. So much. Like, why don't you try to love them when they're alive? Did you tell them that while they Not were to here? Say that, but of I course. mean, 
truly it's baffling but basically the church was attempting to replace the celtic holiday all saints day um it's very similar to the salween though with big bonfires parades and dressing up in costumes okay so it's basically like the Mm -hmm. same holiday they're just finding a way to put their own spin on it like let's just take it (laughs) it was also referred to as all hollows of all hollowsmen the night before the traditional night of Samhain, in the Celtics, they began to call it All Hallows' Eve, then becoming our beloved Halloween. And of course, bringing this into America due to the strong Protestant belief systems in colonial New England, Halloween was much more common in Maryland and the southern colonies. Well, that's definitely where you could find me then, because I want to no, be right. where the party's at. <laughs> Anywhere where there's Halloween, I want to be there. Oh, of course. It's the best. So once the beliefs of the European and American Indians ethnic groups kind of meshed together, that's when the distinct version of Halloween began. Okay. Some of the first celebrations being play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Town folks would share stories of the dead and tell each other's fortunes, dancing and singing. Um, I'm sorry, but that sounds like the most fun. It sounds so fun. I'm like, why can't we... I... Why can't Halloween be celebrated like that nowadays? I don't see anyone dancing or singing. I mean... (laughs) Depends on what party you're at. (laughs) It's definitely out there. They would also tell ghost stories and mischief-making activities. By the middle of the 19th century, Halloween became more common, but not celebrated everywhere yet. The second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants and consisted of millions of Irish that were fleeing the Irish potato famine. Mm. And that influx of people helped polarize Halloween. Irish always find a way to make things more fun. They're yeah, like, they're like, let's add some Let's alcohol. add some booze. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> That's um, so funny. Okay, lastly, the tradition of trick-or-treating, because I know we did not hear anything about that yet. I was going to say, yeah, when does that come yes. into play? most exciting part. Of course. Americans who were using the European traditions, they began to dress up in costumes and go door to door to ask for money. Mm. This comes from the later centuries and where people would dress up as ghosts and demons and other malevolent creatures that could perform antics in exchange for food or drinks. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. This was known as mummying, and now we refer it to as trick-or-treating. It was the 1920s where pranks would become the Halloween activity of choice for rowdy youngins. Wow, that's honestly, that's a a great way to tie up the origin of Halloween with, you know, a nice little bow, talking about where it came from, how we of course Americanized it and why we go around asking people for food and drink. <laughs> to go over drink. some I know. Imagine you just like trick or treat and like, can I get a shot? <laughs> like here's a cookie and a glass of milk. You're like, excuse me? <laughs> just leaving with this glass of milk. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Um and then now let's talk about some fun facts about Halloween. Ooh, what do you got for me? So um, this honestly, I had to put this one first because it honestly kind of startled me. Americans, they spend an estimated $2.6 billion on candy on Halloween. Oh my god. Yeah, like for the tradition. Just or for the, on Halloween. Just on Halloween. Oh, crap. $2.6 billion. 
Um, Halloween is technically the nation's second largest commercial holiday. Um, don't hate me. Didn't look up the first one. If I had to guess, probably Christmas. But um, yeah, I would think so. Didn't look it up. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Halloween. <laughs> that's all that matters. Um, okay, so actually, um, Disney was the reason that we call trick or treating what we do. Because mm-hmm. according to both a 1951 Peanuts comic strip and a 1952 cartoon featuring Donald Duck and his nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they um, actually termed it trick or treating and would stuck with it. It stuck with it since then. Hmm, that is very interesting. I did not know that. Okay, honestly, this one's my favorite too because it's it's honestly hilarious. Um, in 2018, 20 percent of pet owners actually purchased costumes for their pets on Halloween. <laughs> I've done it once. Honestly, they're just so cute. so cute. (laughs) They're so cute cute when they're dressed up. Honestly, you're just like, you're not supposed to be wearing a shirt. (laughs) You're so cute. (laughs) It was my little (laughs) ruffery. Stop it. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. And lastly, um, one quarter of all the candy sold annually in the United States is purchased for Halloween. Oh, Wow. Okay, Elle, so I have a very bizarre Halloween murder story for you today. Okay. This takes place, of course, on Halloween night Mm -hmm. in 1957. Okay. Peter Fabiano and his wife, Betty, and Betty's daughter, Judy, are in their home in Sun Valley, Los Angeles. Mm. Peter was a hairstylist that owned two salons in Los Angeles with Betty. Goals. Right. Right. Goals. So, it is 11 p.m. on Halloween, and they are about to head to bed for the night, since, you know, most trick-or-treating is done, kids are getting to bed, it's getting pretty late. Peter and Betty head up to their room and shut off their bedroom light. Shortly after they turn off the lights, to their surprise, the doorbell rings, and it seems that there is another trick-or-treater finishing their round around the neighborhood. So... Betty stays in bed while Peter heads downstairs to answer the door. When he answers the door, there's a woman standing outside wearing an odd outfit, Hmm. which is blue jeans, khaki jacket, a hat, red gloves, lots of makeup, and an eye mask, kind of what you would picture Robin from Batman to wear. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And she's holding a paper bag. So Peter says to the woman, isn't this a little late for this? Same. (laughs) (laughs) Right. To which she replies simply with no. The woman then raises the bag with her hand in it and inside she is holding a gun and shoots Peter in the (gasps) chest. No way. Yep. Shoots Peter in the chest and then she runs off and gets into a car and drives away. Betty and Judy run downstairs to see Peter lying on his back in front of the door. Judy runs over to a neighbor's house who was a police officer, um, and they call the police station, and Peter was soon after transferred to Sun Valley Hospital, where he was pronounced dead. Gosh. Mm-hmm. So in terms of witnesses, the only thing they really had was a teenage boy in the neighborhood does state that he saw a car speed away, um... But he doesn't really have much else that's very helpful for the investigation other than that. However, Peter's wife, Betty, did give a name to police when asked if Peter had any enemies. And that name was Joanne Rappel. Mm. Hopefully saying that right. Joanne Rappel was a freelance photographer that Peter hired to work at his salon. 
and I can't tell if he hired her as a photographer for the salon or a stylist, but mm. either way, she's working at his salon, yeah, or was. Joanne began to get really close with Peter and Betty, even through their marriage's rough patch. So apparently, Betty and Peter had actually briefly separated. And Betty confided in Joanne and even moved in with her. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no reports of exactly what happened between Betty and Joanne, but papers at the time allude to them having a romantic relationship by oh calling my gosh. it, yeah, they're, they're calling it, quote, abnormal. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And now, so remember, this is the 1950s and homosexuality was illegal at the time. Yeah. So... I mean, if you're gay, it's not like they're out telling people. So there's really not a ton of course. that we know about their situation. Yeah, and then, yeah, again, even if they were, the papers aren't going to put the word gay in the papers because it's, it's illegal. Like, it's so taboo. <laughs> Betty and Peter eventually reconciled and she moved back in with him. And it said that Betty agreed to no longer speak with Joanne. Okay. This left Joanne feeling very angry and jealous. Joanne was brought in for questioning, but released after for lack of evidence. Hmm. However, later investigators are led to the murder weapon, which was a revolver that was kept in a pay locker and traced back to a hospital clerk named Goldine Pizur. Now, from what I've read, police found out about the revolver based off a tip, like an anonymous tip. Um, but Goldine also confesses when she gets arrested. So I'm not sure, maybe she was the one that called in the tip or just convinced after being arrested because she knew she was caught, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, that um, makes sense. What a name. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, no, all the reports on the arrest and the evidence and like the investigation into it are very vague. So I don't know fully what happened there. But regardless, arresting Goldine reveals a very bizarre plot of murder, which brings police back to the mastermind and i do put quotation marks around that <laughs> who is joanne rebel oh gosh so shortly after betty and peter got back together joanne meets goldine bazaar and quickly strike up a friendship again this relationship is indicated as romantic as goldine was reported as gay hmm. um or again alluded to they wouldn't say that of course but she suppressed these feelings in the past and even got married to a pharmacist named Herbert Crome, but they divorced shortly after. After Joanne starts getting close with Goldine, she starts telling her about how evil Peter is and how he mistreated his wife. She says that Peter deserves to die and Goldine states Joanne, quote, painted him as a vile, evil man who wanted to destroy all people around him. Oh my gosh. It's a little extra. Yeah. And so she hasn't even met him and she hates Peter based off everything she's saying. What? Wow. It seems like Joanne really had a kind of a hold on her, I guess, in that sense of <laughs> yeah, giving yeah. her that information. So after, you know, Joanne basically gets Goldine to hate him and they're forming a connection. And so now Goldine has trust in Joanne and kind of like love for Joanne. Yeah. Um, she gets coerced into the plot to murder Peter. And this took three months of both Joanne and Goldine plotting this. Oh my goodness gracious. Mm -hmm. Talk about premeditated. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. So when it is getting closer to the murder day, 
Goldine goes to a local gun shop with a male friend and purchases a 38 Smith & Wesson revolver, stating it was for protection. Mm. She holds on to this gun until Halloween night when Joanne picks her up in a borrowed car and they drive to Peter and Betty's house. They sit outside the house in the car and they wait until they see the lights turn off in the house. Goldine then gets out of the car to do the deed. And then after shooting Peter, she runs back into the car with Joanne, where Joanne kisses her and says, thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So... Are you freaking kidding me? Gosh, like, these women are welcome. crazy. So then they speed off and the two of them burn their clothes. They return the borrowed vehicle to Joanne's friend. Um, Joanne then says to Goldine, quote, forget you ever knew me. What? Mm -hmm. Before they both parted ways. So oh. like, can I just real quick use you for this murder and then like peace? Wow. She really had a hold on her. That's crazy. Yeah, but like, I don't know exactly how long they knew each other, but I believe it was actually years. So she held on to the switch for that long. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She literally just needed her for that one I know. Thing. And That's... then, yeah, like they were friends and yeah, then she's just like, okay, bye. Mm. So... Crazy. Goldine gets arrested November 12th, and finally they get a warrant for Joanne because they had been bringing her in, you know, thinking that she's guilty, yeah. but they don't have enough Not evidence enough until, news. obviously, they talk to Goldine, and she's like, well, here's my story. <laughs> Here it is. Um, so at the trial, they both pled not guilty, and Goldine said for insanity for her, um, but eventually they did both change their plea. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, throughout the whole trial, it was reported that Joanne was constantly wearing a strange smile. Ew. Yeah, just very creepy. And, like, when, when Goldine gets on the stand, she's crying, super upset. And then, yeah, just the whole time, Joanne's just having this, like, eerie smile. Oh, my gosh. That is so nasty to, yeah. to picture. Ew. So creepy. So, they were originally charged with first-degree murder, mm. but later made a plea deal that lowered that charge to second-degree murder. Oh, my gosh. It's, it was completely premeditated. That is so yeah, unfair. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I think they, when they changed their, their plea from not guilty to guilty. Oh, yeah, most likely. But they were given what I find an odd sentence mm. of five years to life. Oh my gosh, I thought you were going to say five years. I was like, you're literally <laughs> lying to me. Just five years. Which, gosh. I mean, basically, but that's so random to me. Like, you could have five years or you could have, like, until you're dead and you're... That's so, that's so awful because, like, the, they took someone's life. Like, you, he had way longer than five years left to live and they took that from him. Like, that's so unfair. Yeah, I know. And I don't know. Maybe the 50s were a different time, but... Right? Obviously. It clearly is. That's, oh my God, that's literally insane. Yeah, it's super weird. So... I did find out that Goldine was released from prison, but I can't find out when. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. However, I found out she was made an officer of the Miracle Mile chapter of the Professional Women's Club. Oh, you're freaking yeah. lying to me. Are you <laughs> an kidding officer. Me? She's a guy up there. So that was in 1971. So she obviously got out before 1971 and probably a while before then. Yeah. If she was to make her way or sorry, able to make her way up. Well, in it was this... between five years and... Yeah. So, I mean, oh it could have just straight been five years, but... Um, there's very little reported as to what happened with Joanne, but people believe she was also released around the same time. Um, but there's still just so much mystery around the case. People wonder if maybe Betty was somehow involved in the shooting, Betty being Peter's wife, yeah. um, to be with Joanne. Because, again, she's married to Peter. She 
you know, not allowed to be lesbian. Of course. Yeah, you have to put up that facade. Yeah, so, so I don't know if she was involved in this in yeah. some way. Um, but again, <gasps> she gave the name, or Joanne's name, like, right off the bat, so maybe not. I mean, um, good way to throw, you know, get the, the heat off you. The, yeah, if you wanted him dead, but don't want anything. I mean, that's what Joanne did with Goldine. Exactly. Joanne never gave a specific reason to wanting, as to why, sorry, she wanted to murder Peter, other than he was just evil. So we're unsure that if Betty wasn't involved, was it just a way to hurt her? Mm. Or did she really believe Peter was a bad guy and maybe going to hurt Betty? Yeah. So yeah, it's still hard to make sense of everything. And the only quote I found from Joanne on the situation was, quote, I did it for her. Yeah. Weird. Mm -hmm. Okay, so clearly it was a love thing. Oh, yeah. It was her wanting to be with her. Oh, my gosh. That's so, that's so unfair. It's so bizarre. But, yeah, no, very eerie. Like, I did it for her. She's smiling. She, yeah, isn't really saying anything else. So, yeah, it was very, it's very odd. That's that's (laughs) very, no, it's very She's able to basically seduce a random girl into killing a guy because I'm assuming from, from what I can tell loved Betty or was mad at Betty something yeah and for in some way yeah oh my goodness gracious okay well I honestly don't even know how to follow that one up so hopefully this case will have you on the edge of your seat like I just was for yours oh I'm sure okay let's get into it us um taking us back to the Halloween night of course of 1974 Mm. where a man named Ronald O'Brien committed a horrible crime you can't even begin to fathom honestly Ooh, okay. Ronald Clark O'Brien was born October 19th, which is also around the spooky time, so it's yes. interesting to me, of 1944, um, and then later lived um, with his wife, Deneen, in Deer Park, Texas. Mm. And they welcomed two children, a son, Timothy, born in 1966, and a daughter, Elizabeth, in 1969. Ronald worked as an obstetrician at Texas State Optical in Sharpstown, Houston. Um, Mm. He was actually a very active member of their church, um, Second Baptist Church, where he sang in the choir and was in charge of the local bus program. Mm. And now that we know a little bit more about who he is as a person, um, let's chat about this crime. I do always like just taking a little bit of time to talk about the people who commit these crimes and their backgrounds because I want everyone to acknowledge that there are wolves among us. If you looked at this man who worked as an eye doctor and was a father of two young children, you never would have guessed the awful awful acts he's guilty of. Oh, gosh, I'm excited. Okay. So this is, like I said, Halloween night of 1974. Ronald, being a seemingly amazing dad, was taking his two children trick-or-treating in Pasadena, Texas. Um, his neighbor actually also joined them, and he had two small children of his own. Um, so, of course, the children were all dressed up and excited. They ran door to door, um, getting ready to yell trick-or-treat. And um, to this particular house they came up to, they, um, you know, they knocked and no one actually came to the door. So, you know, irritated, he was, you know, taking the truck up the driveway to get there and yeah. <laughs> no one answers. Um, all that work. Irritated, the children got impatient. So they ran back to their fathers, um, who actually ended up pushing the children to visit the next house. They're trying to keep them from getting discouraged, basically. Um, Well, all four of the children ran up to the next house, and Ronald kind of hung back behind everyone. Once he caught back up to the group, leaving this next house, he, um, Ronald, presented the children with five 21-inch pixie sticks. And he just brought these along? Yeah, he just said, so he 
you had five of them in his hand. And I will say, 21 inches, that is... That's huge. That's such a big... That's only, like, one of those big, fun pixie sticks. Yeah, the one that you, like, get at the movie theater and fill with all the different oh, sugars. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what it probably was. Something like that. Ronald, actually, he stated to the children that, like, um, once you guys ran to that next house, um, the people that you just knocked on, they didn't answer the door, they gave me these pixie oh, sticks. Oh, okay. Yeah. They got here on them. Yeah. Yes. And at the end of the evening, he provided all four children with one, um, two of his children and the two neighbor's children. Uh, and on their way home, Ronald actually had spotted a young 10-year-old boy that he recognized from church, and he handed him the fifth pixie stick. So when they got home before bed, Timothy was given permission to enjoy some of his candy, um, and he was known to love pixie sticks. So that was the very first thing that he ripped open to yeah. start devouring. I mean, I see this t- twenty-inch-long pixie stick. That's probably the first thing that I have exactly. my eyes on. No, I'm like I'm hiding that like in my shirt to like yeah. run straight home and open it. Um, he actually had to ask his dad for help to loosen the powder in the stick. Um, you know how they get all they get like smushed down mm-hmm. in there so you know his dad like massages it loosens up the candy and gives it back to him um you know timothy dumps a whole b- bunch in his mouth and he told his dad that it tasted bitter mm. it was not good um and then his father gave him some kool-aid to wash um down the taste Ooh, don't drink the kool-aid <laughs> don't, actually don't drink the kool-aid um almost immediately timothy actually ran upstairs with stomach pain and began vomiting oh no um, his dad rushes in and finds him convulsing on the floor. Ronald actually later claimed that he held his son in his arms until his body went limp. Oh my god. So 911 was called, of course. Um, poor Timothy sadly passed away in, in route to the hospital. So sad. Less than an hour after consuming this pixie stick. So, like, okay, clearly so we know what in it the pixie is. Stick. Yeah, exactly. Something's in the pixie stick. Um, at first, the police didn't even suspect Ronald. Um, he assumed that, you know, someone in the neighborhood had, uh, they had trick-or-treated at, tainted the candy with poison. Yeah, he said he got it from some house. Yep, exactly. So, um, obviously that sparked extreme fear in the community. Um, I bet so much candy was thrown yeah. away that night. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. Exactly. I mean, even today everyone's like, check your kid's candy. No, right. Which makes sense. I'm sure a lot of that came from this. Of course, of course, that, that fear there. Um, and it was actually after the autopsy that was uh, conducted, Timothy was found to have a fatal dose of potassium cyanide. Ooh, that's sad. That's so scary. Who could do that? No, honestly, though, it's this is it gets even crazier, honestly. Um, luckily, the authorities were able to get the four other pixie sticks. And thank goodness none of the children, um, the other four children, had consumed any. Um, but get this. So the poor 10-year-old boy that Ronald recognized from church that was given the fifth pixie stick. Uh-huh. Um, his parents were contacted and asked to find the candy. So, of course, they jump up out of bed. They're searching all over the house, going through all the candy, and they literally could not find it anywhere. Oh, my God. So, okay, yeah, like, stomach in your butt, right? Yeah. Clearly, in a panic, they bursted into their son's room, um, and he was laying peacefully asleep with a pixie stick in his freaking hand. Oh, my God, did he eat it? Holding it, so he's holding it. Um, he later told his parents that he couldn't get the staples out of the tube. Um, and literally, like, fell asleep as he was trying to, like, get the tube open. Oh, and my goodness. And didn't consume what any. luck. Probably so frustrated in the moment and right? always looks back at that, like, thank God. No, exactly. That's, you know, everything happens for wow. a reason, for sure. Um, okay, well, all five of the Pixie Six were cut open. Um, they were actually all laced with cyanide powder. Um, and then resealed with staples. So, according to the pathologist who tested the Pixie Sticks, said that Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to kill two adults. 
Oh my god. And the other four tubes had enough to kill three to four adults in them. Oh my god, they did. They oh, yeah. really wanted them to die. Someone was really trying to get these children die, like dead. It's I can't even fathom it. Um, originally, Ronald actually told the police that he could not recall the house that handed him the candy. So, um, of course, the police then are obviously like, "Okay, you're not going to forget <laughs> who hands you five giant, giant ass pixie sticks." Pixie sticks <laughs> you're yeah. like, "I'm going to that house next year again." Oh, you know, again. Right. <laughs> um, well, obviously, they became more suspicious of his excuses um, due to the fact that Ronald and the neighbor had only went down two streets. Oh my god! Before cutting it short due to the rain. Okay, so I mean, you know that there's no way you're going <laughs> to forget. On. The okay. police also investigated and found that none of the houses that they went to were giving out pixie sticks. Every one they went to. And, um, of course, after walking the neighborhood with Ronald um, and the police, not once or twice, but three freaking times, Ronald finally led them to the, ho the home that the group visited, but the occupants did not answer the door. And Ronald claimed that um, he revisited the home before catching up with the group. And he said that the owner of the house, of the home did not turn on any lights. He literally just cracked the door, stuck his hand out, and handed him five pixie sticks. He stated okay, he only saw his That's already arm. so weird. Why wouldn't you be like, what's going on? <laughs> like, okay, no Why thank did you. you go back by yourself and knock on the door? There's like... honestly so many things, you know, in this that are just wrong. Um, he, he stated that he only saw his arm. And he described it as hairy. Okay. Okay. Honey, you're being hairy. Not get the fuck off. Like I'm not. We're not doing this right now. Be honest. Like what is happening here? Um, of course, the home did have owners. Um, it was a man who was an air traffic controller at the William P. Hobby Airport. Okay. Um, his name was Courtney, and he actually uh, was working until after 11 p.m. that night. So he didn't get home until late. Yeah. Um, and that actually fully ruled him out as a yeah, suspect. Of course, course. So you're not trick or treating that late. Over 200 people vouched for Courtney while he was at okay. work. So, like, he was there. Like, it was not So, you're just going to say some random-ass guy and hope they have hairy arms exactly. and hope like, they weren't doing anything that night? Crossed. No, of course. And wow. Obviously. This um, was not planned. No. Period. No, literally not at all. He was, he was not thinking this through. After just a little bit of searching, the police discovered that Ronald was more than $100,000 in debt. <gasps> Which would equate to about $520,000 um, now. Oh, my God. And he could not keep a job. Mm. Within the ten year, within just 10 years of the crime, he had 21 jobs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I said that he was an obstetrician. He yeah. Was, he was working as an obstetrician. Well, at the time of the crime, um, at his, you know, at his job at the Texas State um, Optical, he was actually being suspected of theft and mm. was getting ready to be fired. Um, and I'm sure he was stealing. Oh, clearly. I'm like, you're obviously a garbage human being. Like, what do you, would, that wouldn't shock me. That wouldn't shock you. Yeah, that would be the least. Um, and in January of 1974, like I said, this happened in October. Uh -huh. So just like a few months before, you guessed it. He took out $10,000 life insurance policies on both his children. He did that in January? Yeah. So about eight months before... Oh, okay. The crime. Before, okay. He took out the $10,000, yeah, per, for okay, both of so his children. Okay, so first of all, who takes life insurance policies out on their children? On their children. Yeah, the, act, the um, insurance company actually highly suggested against it. Yeah. Um, like, 
maybe you, maybe you shouldn't do that. Um, and then actually just one month before the murder, um, he added an additional $20,000 on each child. Oh my God. One month before? Yeah. Literally one month before the police actually totaled about $60,000 in life insurance. So like it wouldn't even have been enough to cover his debt. And he was like, yeah, just like throw the two children in there. Like, I'll okay. Yeah. In. Yeah. Let me like not even fully pay off my debt and oh. kill my children and kill both of my freaking children That's disgusting. and attempt to kill other children. Like I honestly, I know what the hell and it's like all people that he knows. No, exactly. Like no one would be like, Oh, it's, it was Ronald who gave it to yeah, me. Like, it's almost like he wants to see <laughs> the suffering of the family. I'm sure exactly. he does. Oh, like gosh. I know you guys personally, I know that I'm going to see exactly how you react to this. Yeah. I can't wait to like see how shocked you are about it. Basically. Like he's clearly psychotic. Oh, like easily. Um, Ronald's wife actually stated she had no idea about the life insurance policy on her children. Oh my god! I mean, I sure hope not. How do you not like have to sign paperwork when stuff like that happens? Like, yeah, is I it wonder. on both your insurance companies? I don't or? know. I mean, I mean, I don't know. That is weird. Right? So weird. Yeah. Um, and actually, it was found out um, that only the morning after the brutal murder of his eight-year-old son. He called the insurance company to acquire about the policies he had on his children. The day after, yeah, yeah. And he calls and was like, "Hey, about that, about that policy on Timothy." You know, literally the night, the, the morning after. Oh my God! Come on. Could you be more stupid than have that? Have like, some fucking respect. I mean, obviously you have no respect. Clearly, no respect or you know recognition for disgusting acts. But I mean, just ew. It just ew. Literally. Um. <laughs> The police also had learned that Ronald had visited a chemical supply store in Houston to buy cyanide okay. shortly before Halloween night of 1974. Cool. Let's just not try to cover up your traces any way, shape, or form. Yeah, like Which not even God, like an because alias he or anything. To be way too hard. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, his dumbass literally ended up leaving because he found out the smallest amount you could buy is five pounds. Jeez. And he's like, I gotta, I gotta kill five kids, but I don't need that much. Like, <laughs> I don't need that much. Oh my gosh, he's literally psychotic. Um, the police, of course, began to suspect him as the murderer of his own son. Um, I mean, and they obviously. Be- <laughs> they believed that he had given the other three children, um, or sorry, the other four children, um, the candy in hopes to hide his crime. Yeah. And he gave it to his daughter, too. His, literally, he was planning on his children eating that candy that night. Like, I just cannot even... Literally helped his son eat it. Yeah. Massaged it all open. Yeah. Rinsed it down it's with some disgusting. Kool-Aid. Yeah. Honestly, disgusting. It doesn't even begin to touch how literally disgusting this is. <laughs> Um, Ronald, of course, maintained his innocence, and it didn't take long. On November 5th of 1974, he was arrested for the murder of his own son, literally six days after. Oh, wow. Thank God. Uh, That was very fast. Yep, of course. Thank goodness. Um, he was actually indicted on one count of, uh, capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. Thank goodness. Uh, he actually bled, pled guilty to all five counts. Um, and on May 5th of 1975, the trial began... And in court, Ronald was faced with a chemical supply salesman that testified saying Ronald had asked him how to purchase cyanide, as well as a chemist who was um, acquainted with Ronald. He actually um, said that Ronald had asked him how much cyanide would be fatal. Are you kidding me? That's a weird-ass question to just ask if you're not planning on murdering someone. I know, like, right? I do not know, and I wonder if he answered. Yeah, I do wonder, like, oh, you know, just, like, this much amount of cyanide. <laughs> I mean, it's cyanide. Like, 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 what? You, if you think about how much cyanide it takes to get... Probably not freaking a lot. Like, it's pretty simple. What, you, Why whatever. Do you, okay. Whatever. <laughs> Clearly not going to get any answers from this fucking weirdo, so... Um, also, friends and coworkers testified that Ronald was unusually interested in cyanide 
and spoke out multiple times about how um, much it would take to kill a person. What the fuck? I mean, also, also heartbreaking on top of it. Ronald's sister and brother-in-law testified that on the day of Timothy's funeral, Ronald was walking around gloating about how he was going to take this life insurance money and take a long vacation and buy some other things. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yep. And then what I, what I still cannot wrap my head around is he's still telling people he's innocent. So like pleading guilty, but then telling people that you're innocent. Like, I'm, okay, I'm confused. Makes sense. The case of course made headlines a national attention where it was, um, the press that actually dubbed Ronald the candy man. Ugh. It's pretty spooky. It's like, very spooky. Oh, now I want to go watch it. <laughs> but on June 3rd of 1975, it only, it, it took the jury only 46 minutes to find him guilty of all five charges. Oh, wow. I would have taken 46 seconds. And like, um, do we need to be here? I don't <laughs> think we need okay, to be he, here. Okay, he's obviously guilty. Like, let's, let's just go let's wrap this up, please. Let's, it's time to go home. Like, it's June 3rd. Um... <laughs> It actually only took them 71 additional minutes to sentence him to death. Well deserved. Well deserved. And like like I said, 71 seconds would even be a little bit too long. Like <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm shocked at how fast that was, honestly. But yeah, like I said, it was, it, it was easily fully deserved. Oh, very. Shortly after he was convicted, his wife filed for a divorce. And she actually later remarried. And this warms my heart. Um, her new husband has adopted her daughter. Aww. And I love that. I'm like, honestly, just like... That's so cute. Goosebumps. I know, That's gosh. so cute. After having that hard of a life, like, I hope her, her new dad is so, so much And, better. like, you know she has to have some sort of, like, survivor's guilt or, and for that. And, oh, you know, you just... Hopefully they're providing her with enough, you know, love and support that she can have a normal life. And, cause, yeah, that's... Honestly, crazy doesn't even begin to exp mm -hmm. explain it. Um, so, Ronald's first execution date. It was set for August 8th of 1980, but his attorney did successfully petition for a stay of execution, and a second date was set for May 25th of 1982. Oh, yeah. So, kind of rude that they showed him mercy, but he clearly was never willing to show any mercy to these poor freaking children that yeah. did and nearly died. Like, I just... It doesn't make any fucking sense. I know. No, it's disgusting. The date was also postponed, and um, that date, and of course there was a third date set, for fucking Halloween oh, of 1982. That would be the best time oh for him gosh. to get murdered. That's exactly, like, that would be justice Killed. in itself, like, perfect. Um, that's exactly eight years after his horrific crime against his little boy, who was, ironically, also eight years old. So, oh, that wow. was kind of weird. Um, of course, the judge who had, it's <laughs> my favorite part, the judge who had set the date, he actually offered to drive Ronald to the <laughs> death chamber. I want to make sure Freaking you savage. die. <laughs> He's like, and if you need a ride, buddy, I'll call you an Uber. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> It's honestly so freaking funny. Um, okay, so this, he, was, he was actually going to be the very first person in Texas to be executed by lethal injection. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but the Supreme Court delayed that date again. And um, like you said, just it was going to be a perfect date. Like, so it would have been the best date. It's unfair. Um, and a fourth date was set for March 31st of oh 1984. Um, Ronald's attorney literally sought a fourth stay. On the basis of the injection being a cruel and unusual punishment. Um, that's ironic because I'm pretty sure, like it's almost like what attempting, he did was <laughs> attempting worse. to poison five children and brutally murdering and feeding your eight-year-old baby poison, you sick fuck. Like, that's pretty freaking <laughs> cruel and unusual, if you ask freaking me. 
Um, obviously, thank goodness, on March 28th, that request was rejected. And on March 31st of 1984, shortly after midnight, he was executed by lethal injection mm. at the Huntsville unit. Um, his final statement, he literally maintained his freaking innocence. You're he kidding. stated that the death penalty was wrong and added, quote, I'm going to read this in his annoying ass voice that I think it would have been. I forgive you all. And I do mean all. Those who have been involved in my death, God bless you all. And may God's best blessings be always yours. Gag me with a spoon. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Why do you think anyone cares about what you have to say? Like, leave. Leave. <laughs> and leave. During it. <laughs> During his execution, a crowd of over 300 people gathered outside the prison, um, and some were heard chanting, trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat, and I, I don't know, I secretly kind of yes. love that, like, completely deserved, completely so deserved. Um, others actually showered, because, you know, whenever there's a death, there, someone being executed, there's always that, that crowd of the anti-death penalty, mm. um, they yeah. actually showered them with candy. <laughs> How iconic. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, okay, and then well, a little side note that I found that I really wanted to add was um, that Ronald is actually buried in the Forest Park Cem- East Cemetery in Webster, Texas, whereas Timothy was buried in the Forest Park Lawndale Cemetery in Houston. Think. Goodness. Oh, good. Yes. So you don't have to worry Nowhere about them being near anywhere near each other. Yeah, of course he would not. He would never deserve that in a million years. Mm-mm. And um, the last thing I do just want to say, because um, it's, I feel like it is really important to add, because of, I actually heard you say at the beginning, when you were like, yeah, this is why everyone says, check your candy, check your candy. Um, you know, I will say that this this case really did um, spark the fear of people putting razor blades and poison and other detrimental items into your children's candy. Um, and despite that, there is actually no documented cases of strangers poisoning Halloween candy. So stuff your face with Reese's with no fear. <laughs> Thank God, because I plan to. Oh my gosh, actually, I'm excited that we're, we're done, because now we can go tear into our Halloween candy that right? we have. <laughs> like, you know exactly where you can find me, in a chocolate coma. <laughs> yes, please. But oh my gosh, I feel like this was, it is a little bit of a longer one. We do obviously apologize about that, but we wanted mm-hmm. to be able to fit in, um, you know, some fun information about Halloween. Yes. And then these two crimes to help kind of spook you into mm-hmm. the mood. We had to celebrate our favorite holiday. And so if you want to um, take a look at, um, obviously, pictures that we'll be posting of these crimes, you can do so on our Instagram. That is going to be at Shriek the Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. At Shriek the Podcast. Give us a follow, like, download. Um, tell all your friends wherever, you know, you listen to your um, podcasts at. Yes, and definitely leave us reviews, message us if you have any questions or um, feedback, anything like that. We love to hear from you guys. We would love to hear from you. So if you do um, want to send any of that to us, you can do so at shriekthepodcast at gmail.com. And always remember when in doubt, shriek, shriek it out. out. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.